Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. I think we really need is change. Good idea. Take a couple of weeks off, get some sun, take Jonah fishing. No, real change. New city. Some place where every time I go around a corner, I don't think of Maggie. Where are you going to go? I was thinking about Seattle. Sleepless in Seattle? That's what she called him on the show because he can't sleep. And now 2,000 women want his number. The guy could be a crackhead, a transvestite, a flasher, a junkie, a chainsaw murderer, or someone really sick. Someone like my Rick. Actually, he sounded nice. Oh? Oh, really? Now we're getting down to it. Please, Becky, I'm madly in love with Walter. He did the craziest thing the other night. What was that? (sighs) Oh, it's so funny. We were hysterical. What was that? We're going to review today on Rom-Com Rewind, boys, one of the great Rosie O'Donnell movies of all time. <laughs> Mount Rushmore of Rosie O'Donnell movies. When she was the supporting uh, supporting actress in almost everything. For like League five of their own. Years, for like 5 years it's like not who should fan. be the supporting actress? Let's get Rosie. Okay, that's great. <laughs> not a fan. And then she got a talk show out of it. It was mm-hmm. it was all very exciting. Pissed off Tom uh, Selleck. Wow. You might have to explain that one to the young ones yeah, in but the room I don't, here. I don't know. Oh, little, gun, we'll, little yeah. gun control stuff. We'll, we'll get. Oh wow, we'll, we'll get to that on Romcom Rewind Friday, and also the Wolves are back, and Federated Insurance is helping power this episode of Mackie and Judd. Now, how helpful would it be for you to have employee training at your fingertips, industry resources that can help your business reach another level of success? Well, that's why Federated recently launched My Shield, the online client destination for risk management resources. You can find out more at federatedinsurance.com. Click on My Shield or download the app. And remember it, Federated, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Yeah, he's fearless. You know, he he, kind of... He looks, uh, you know, he just he's young, but he's fearless, and I love that. He's, you know, take on any challenge defensively, um, not afraid to take the right shot, big shot, you know. And uh, you know, I thought he was really, really impactful for us, both ends of the floor. Gentlemen, according to ESPN stats and information research, the Timberwolves last night became only the second team in the last 25 seasons to win a game by at least 30 points after trailing by at least 15 points, <laughs> joining joining yep. the Chicago Bulls, oh, who yeah. pulled it off against the then New Jersey Nets, 
on December 23rd, 1996. Minnesota also became the third team to win a game by at least 30 points after entering the contest with a winning percentage under 200, 30 games into the season or more, according to the Elias Sports Bureau. The last team to pull that off was the Cleveland Cavaliers in 1971. I think we can start planning the parade after what we saw last night. Chris Finch, when are we going to put the bronze bust up next to the Sid Hartman statue outside Target Center. What did we all say? There's a guy all year long. We said there's a guy in Toronto, that Chris Finch guy. He should be here. That's what we all said. I mean, I don't care how Gerson has to do it. He's got to hire Chris Finch. And last night I started to watch that game and I thought they're down by 16. I mean, nothing has changed, right? Like nothing has changed about this team. And, and that's Chris that's Finch just called. calling right now. Chris that's Finch the just called. calling right now. Finch is like, you're right. I should have been hired before. But anyway, <laughs> I started to watch that game, Phil. And I believe now that you can watch games, too, without illegal streams and stuff. You probably watched as well and thought, my God, it's out of the All-Star break. And, like, nothing has changed at all. And they came back and played well. And, um, hey, that young collection, that was nice to see. I have no idea if it's sustainable or if this is going to uh, if they're going to continue to, to play well. But you know what? It was really nice. And this is going to sound mean, but I mean it. Wasn't it nice to see them use their young players and and to finally like say, you know what, Ricky's got to sit down. Like we just got to sit him. It's fine. Like he'll play some, but he doesn't have to. I, this is where they should be going. Like if you're going to be bad. Or good. I don't know which one. But this is the direction, you know, with guys like Cat. This is the direction, though. The um, McDaniels, Noels, Reeds. This is what I want. This is what we should see. Not Ricky Rubio. Yes. And empower those guys. Put those guys in the right spots. And it is worth mentioning that Ant Edwards, once again, with effusive praise of, of Ricky Rubio's leadership, he called Ricky Rubio the best leader he's ever been around. Uh, now, Ant doesn't exactly have like, you know, a life's sample size of being around great leaders on and off the court. Uh, but he but he has been raving about Ricky Rubio, pulling him aside, explaining things to him. But I think it's very obvious that Chris Finch, either via Zoom or phone or practice sessions, was able to clearly communicate and work with some of these guys during the All-Star break. So many things looked different last night. And and I just like the the three things that stood out, and you mentioned you mentioned the young players, but I'll just I'm going to go through a quick list of three things that were very different, or at least were enhanced compared to what we've seen before the All Star break. And thing number one, the the most glaring thing that stood out in a good way last night, Anthony Edwards, instead of settling for like ten three point shots and clanking them all night, he spent especially in the second half, he spent the game putting his shoulder down, driving to the hoop initiating contact so that he can give himself a little bit more uh, of a chance to avoid getting his shots blocked. Yep. And I just keep going back to what Dwayne Wade said on inside the NBA on TNT like a month ago or so. And he said, I, th- I think this guy reminds me of myself. Now they both have the Tom Crean connection. So I think there's probably a little, a little bias there, mm-hmm. uh, but this guy reminds me of myself. And I think he has the skill set and the tools to maybe be a better version of Dwayne Wade. Well, what we've seen Anthony Edwards doing in the first like 30 games of his career does not resemble at all Dwayne Wade's game. Dwayne Wade wasn't sitting back and taking contested threes all night, right? He was, especially the first couple of years of his career, he was barely shooting at all from outside like 10 feet. He was just driving to the hoop. He was an energizer bunny. And, and, and that version of Anthony Edwards last night, 
I honestly don't care if he takes another three all season. And I get that that's sacrilege in today's NBA, but like he is elite at getting to the rim. And I'm glad that Chris Finch pulled him aside in some form over the last week and said, dude, you're a, you're a, you're a running back. You put that ball, you tuck that ball away. You take two steps, you jam your shoulder into whoever's in front of you mm-hmm. and you get to the rim and you get to the free throw line. So Judd, that was the, that was the first big thing that stood out last night. And off th- that point, I think it was in, I think it was early in the game. Ant uh, drove to the basket and he settled and, and he threw up a layup that was really not great and it missed. And Jim Pete on the telecast immediately said, "Okay, we want we want him to drive, but the problem there is he has got to initiate the contact himself. So it shouldn't be the defender fouling him. It should actually be him doing what you just talked about, Phil, which is leaning into the defender and then scoring." And Jim Pete's like, that's the next step. He's got to do do that. Within probably a quarter and a half of Jim Pete's statement, Ant did exactly that. And Jim Pete's like, that's what we're talking about exactly right. So I think you're definitely right. I think somebody got to him and said, we don't necessarily need to rework your game at all, but what we need to do is have you rethink your shot selection, what you can do well now, and and where you're going to help this team actually win games. And so it was interesting, though, that within a very small time frame of the game that he had the right idea and did it wrong and then immediately almost corrected it and did it right. And the thing with this kid is what's the sport he supposedly loves the most? It's football, right? So it makes perfect sense. Initiating contact should not be a problem here. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think that Finch and the coaching staff probably – Uh, got to a few of these guys and said, let's redefine your roles just a little bit so that there's complete clarity on what we want and what you should do right now. The, the, the second thing of, of the three things on my list. And and this is, you know what, the one, the one of us on this show that deserves the most credit is the basketball whisperer himself, (laughs) Declan Goff. Declan is always pigeonholed as a hockey guy. He's a hockey guy. He's a seltzer guy. It's all he does. He just drinks seltzers and watches hockey. (laughs) <laughs> anything anything outside of that realm he's just uh, he's just an incompetent boob right like just yeah seltzers and hockey guy no declan was all over Jaden mcdaniels from like the first five minutes he stepped on the court this season he was empowered even more last night 20 points on just nine shots he had three blocks a couple of steals like he, he always grabs a handful of rebounds blocks a small handful of shots and and, and like the things the active things that you sort of take for granted sometimes, um, and he stuffs that part of the box score on a regular basis. And last night was sort of like his rookie Mona Lisa, and and him combined with Jake Lehman, largely holding Z- Zion was efficient last night, um, but he didn't explode. And Brandon Ingram was having a, a horrible time trying to. Brandon Ingram was like five of fourteen. What were those shots? Get, get shots up over Jake Lehman. What um, were those shots? Those shots yeah, were he's, ugly. Yeah, he he just looked uncomfortable, and and part of it is Jaden McDaniels. Part of it was was Jake Lehman playing defense last night, but Jaden McDaniels in general as just a multifaceted energizer bunny type player who can shoot threes. He's fearless, um, and it looks like he might actually wind up being the steal of this draft, like a guy who falls that far and is that talented, and and you're seeing him being unlocked in front of us. So that was awesome. I'll give you the third one real quick, oh, too. Wait, hold on a second. Allow Declan to have the floor for a second. Oh, sorry. This man has been well, I mean, calling for this. 
Declan, take your bow. Look, look, I, I, I don't want to take all the credit uh, because, you know, there was other people that said, hey, at pick 27 here, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the Wolves really got a steal. You know, this kid was supposed to be a top 10 lottery pick going into the college basketball season. He has a little bit of a rough year at Washington and then settles back in and then falls all the way to 27. And when the Wolves get off to their nice 2-0 start and he's inactive, okay, and then, you know, the Wolves happen, Towns goes down, or the hell's Jaden McDaniels? You know, hey, can we get Jaden McDaniels in the rotation? Well, Declan, I think you got a better chance of you touching the floor right now than Jaden McDaniels. And then, lo and behold, who's out there scoring a perfect 7-7 seven of seven from the floor through three quarters last night? Jaden McDaniels. Who's the maybe just as good and on the same level right now as Anthony Edwards to build around? Jaden McDaniels. So, I don't want to take all the credit, but I do want some of the credit. I do want some and- of it. And the best part about those two guys, Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels, they're very they're very different players. They're very complimentary. Yes. I mean, Ant Edwards, I don't think, is going to be a defensive stopper. I mean, Jaden McDaniels is like this lanky energizer. He can just come out of nowhere from the weak side and block a shot, right? And uh, and Ant Edwards is more of a, a traditional, like, put the ball in his hands, run pick and roll, et cetera. Uh, so, Declan, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. We're all over this. It's not a fluke. This dude is absolutely for real and there is a chance like you said that he could just be the best player that they drafted last year and then the other one Jalen Noel so he's always shown little flashes here and there last night I think that was probably the most that he's had the ball in his hands as a point guard really since joining the Wolves like there's been some spurts and there was some garbage time but he's a sneaky good player he's a good shooter season high in minutes and points last night and um I just think we, we need to keep seeing like 25-plus minutes of Jalen Noel to see to see what happens. So those three guys were fun to watch last night. I wouldn't mind to see them give, give him a start next game, too. Because McLaughlin's out, and he's a backup. Like he, I think he's fine, but he's out. Ricky is – he is who he is. The flat shot ain't going away. He is no. not part – he has zero to do – zero to do with your future, okay? If you're Chris Finch, explore and embrace the future. Like, do everything that's geared towards looking at where this team should be going. Not, oh, man, Ricky leads. I mean, he should – no, he shouldn't play. Like, he does He he does almost nothing now. He could play some defense – but and I'm sure he's a great guy, and I'm not a- advocating releasing him. But I want to see all of these young guys play as much as possible, and yeah. cha- and challenge them, and give yourself an opportunity to look at what your future looks like. Like let's let's not let's not try and see. Well, this is going to make the most sense for tonight's game because it might help us win. No, nobody cares about that. Yeah. What, what we also, care about is what's going to complement Cat the most and what's going to give this team the best chance to eventually be competitive because that's where they're at. And yeah, I'm, I'm not to the point where I'm just going to flat bench Ricky Rubio because I still think there's some value there. But like his value is mostly leadership and yeah. showing these young guys how to, how to play at a, at a pro level. And the other silver lining last night, Carl Anthony Towns doesn't really have a great game. I mean, he was, he was 2 of 10 from three-point range. He sort of disappeared for certain stretches. Yes, he did. And it was fine. Like... It shouldn't always just depend on, well, Cat's got to put up 28, 15, and 3 and knock down seven threes for the Wolves to have a chance to win a game. It's kind of refreshing to see that Towns was just sort of a, like, obviously he should be the driving force right. as, as much as possible so you can see if he's going to be your your center point superstar of the future. But um, but it is nice to see against a really, com- 
I mean, don't be deceived by New Orleans' record. They are more competitive than the 15 and 22 record would would indicate, especially lately. So, anyways, the Wolves are back out of nowhere. An historic comeback, 30 point victory last night. And, uh, I think we should just end the season right now on a high note. I don't know that we need to play any more games. I don't, the, the Lakers are coming up. I, uh, I'm good with that. I think we could just, uh, you know what, just, boys, let's go to the off season workouts, get to summer league and see what happens. You know what I want? I want this because I just want to be, I want to be curious to watch them. And and the absolute crap that, that they were providing us before the All Star break like made it very hard to be enthused to watch them. I don't care if you lose, just make it entertaining, and let me see something that shows production. Like I can't pre All Star break. I had no idea what this team was doing, where it was going, and the most frightening thing, if you're a Wolves fan, the few left, is that you had. You couldn't see any clear path to, okay, I see sort of what they're trying to build here, right? Like last night, if you replicate that and play these guys, you're at least on the right path. And that is and that's that is encouraging because pre-All-Star break, there was no reason to watch this team. Last night sort of sets the foundation of, oh, okay, might not win a ton of games, but there's reason to watch them. What I'm worried about now is they're only five games back of the Orlando Magic for losing ping pong ball percentage points. Oh, you should right? be worried about that. Listen, I think I think it's a foregone conclusion. The team we saw last night is going to make up those five games on the Orlando Magic. So, oh, Golden State be, is getting getting the fourth pick, and it's going to be the Wolves pick. Yeah, it's going to be uh, in classic Wolves fashion. Yes. All right, before we before we get to a classic rom com rewind here, boys, let's shout out yesterday's winner. Actually, today's winner, I should mm-hmm. say of the Score North Pick Your Prize $100 bill. So here's what we're doing, all right? All throughout the month of March, at least up to March 26th, every day we're giving one person who opens the Score North app $100. And that person is also entered to win a $10,000 prize pack from one of our nine partners. And today's winner is uh, our friend Jamie. Let's see here. I'm going to butcher his pronunciation, but Jamie Keeker from Fairmont, Minnesota. So he's now entered to win a $10,000 pick your prize grand prize drawing. If you want to participate, we're in a very giving mood this month. You can open the score North app. It's free to download. If you don't already have it, Apple Android devices, you register and you enter the pick your prize contest through listener rewards. So it's been, uh, it's been fun giving out a hundred dollars a day to uh, some of our loyal listeners. Also our friends at Whamatech, they're helping you guys with broken down phones, tablets, and laptops. I almost feel like Whamatech came in and fixed the broken down Timberwolves right. over the break. They're like, oh, you got a broken down, uh, you got a broken down cat. Here's you a, got a broken down ant. Here's a Jada McDaniel's for you instead. Yeah, he's not really broken down, Ricky, but here. we'll take him and we'll resell him to somebody else. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, because buy, sell, trade in, whatever you need, Whamatech is here to help you. They source pre-owned devices directly and pass the savings on to you. They'll even buy your old device for cash. Find out more at whamatech.com. That's W-A-M-A-T-E-K.com. All right, boys. It's just about uh, that woman in Baltimore. Annie. I don't care what you do. Good, fine. I'll tell you what I'm doing this weekend. I'm getting laid. 1990s and nobody is getting laid. I'm the only man in America who was getting laid this weekend and I haven't been laid that much. Six girls in college, maybe seven. How long have you been standing there? Forever. What did you hear me just say? Six girls in college, maybe seven. Seven. Eight! Eight. Mary Kelly. This is the one I like. 
If you thought these guys spent every waking hour of their lives doing manly things like watching sports while yelling at their TVs, shaving with straight razors, and revving their V8 truck engines, well, yeah, think again. It's time for Mackie and Judd to turn in their man cars. This is Rom-Com Rewind. Obviously, this is very manly. I've been an excellent third baseman for as long as I or anyone else can remember. And while we're on the subject, let's just say right now that Brooks Robinson was the best third baseman ever. Hmm. It's important that you agree with me on that because I'm from Baltimore. She thinks Brooks Robinson's the greatest. So do you. Everyone thinks Brooks Robinson is the greatest. It's a sign. Here's a sign. All right. Where is Seattle? Right. Where is Baltimore? right there look one two three four there's like 26 states between here and there now that's a sign i'm out of here <laughs> gentlemen welcome in to another edition of rom-com rewind here i'm mackie and judd and uh, we thought it'd be fun to choose this 1993 classic sleepless in seattle because as as you guys know having listened to the show the last couple weeks Uh, This is my first week living in the city of Seattle. I am now a transplant Minnesota sports fan. And as a coincidence and luck would have it, our townhouse is literally like a mile and a half down the street uh, from from where the Sleepless in Seattle houseboat is on Lake Union. So I'm hoping to go stalk it at some point. I don't know if someone lives. Maybe Tom Hanks. Yeah. I think Tom Hanks and Jonah still live there. Maybe. Just wander no, in. I no, have, I have takes on that house too that I want to. Bring no, to I don't away. because uh, because the the kid quit acting and is now selling cars in Los Angeles. Good for him. Is he? Yeah, I, I looked it up last night. He quit the profession and is selling cars. That's too bad. I thought he did a great job. In the I have a I lot of thoughts made. about. I did too. I have a lot of thoughts about his performance. Maybe a young Declan. Yep. Yeah, he did kind of remind. Uh, nah, he a wasn't little, a little spunk in that personality. Yeah. You strike me as more squirrely as a child. He wasn't that squirrely. <laughs> he was pretty damn squirrely. Oh, you didn't strike me as that squirrely. He was he he was the brains of the operation. We'll get into it. So uh, all right. So sleepless in Seattle, nineteen ninety three. Here's the summary. Mm-hmm. After the death of his wife, Sam Baldwin, played by Tom Hanks, moved to Seattle with his son Jonah. When Jonah calls into a talk radio program to find a new wife for his father. Sam grudgingly gets on the phone line to discuss his feelings with the radio host. Annie Reed, played by Meg Ryan, a reporter in Baltimore, hears Sam speak on this radio show and falls for him, even though she is already engaged. Unsure where it will lead, she writes Sam a letter asking him to meet her at the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, they met at the... They met at the Empire State Building and they fall in love. Seventy-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, no, we we think they we do. Think that, yeah, we're not quite sure There's, what happens. I have issues. A lot of room for a sequel, yeah. which never happened, despite the point. fact these two couldn't stop doing rom coms together. I mean, the sequel was You've Got Mail, and uh, never saw. Clearly, it. They, they they forgot meeting in a previous life. Well, oh, well, if you've never seen You've Got Mail, then I think we need to add that to the list yeah. of rom com rewinds for you've sure. You've got mail. So 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics' consensus from Rotten Tomatoes says Sleepless in Seattle is a cute classic with a very light touch and real chemistry between the two leads, even when spending an entire movie apart. $21 million budget turned into $223 million at the box office. I feel like this was sort of the heyday of rom-coms. Like all throughout the 
like from Harry Met Sally all the way through this and a bunch of other ones throughout the and 90s. And the Meg Ryan ones. Like she owned the oh, franchise. Yeah. Yes. She yep. was. Yep. If you were going to make money, you went to Meg and said, please be the the lead female in my rom-com. I don't want to be insensitive, but I feel like our friend Meg Ryan may have taken all the money she made in those rom-coms in the 90s and spent it on plastic surgery for her face, yep. but I don't want to be which I don't, insensitive. Which I really don't know why, because she's very attractive and really didn't need a lot. She didn't need any help. Like yeah, I, I really she aged, but that that's fine. Yeah. So uh, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, Rosie O'Donnell, and Bill Pullman in this movie yep, and a couple other uh, familiar faces. I got to talk about Bill Pullman too. I got thoughts there. Kind of a lot, a lot of thoughts. Bill Pullman's in Bill Pullman's in everything in the nineties. He's playing, he's playing oh, yeah. husbands, presidents, yep. you name it. So we'll start with Jeb. What was your key takeaway from sleepless and Well, first of all, I, I'd like to bring up, and, and I actually, as I watched the film, I Googled this and there is a parallel. And I, I think what we don't know is who copied whom. Although I think we do know within a month of each other, Sleepless in Seattle was released in 1993 and a little cheer spinoff on NBC called Frasier debuted. You notice the parallels in those two things? Frasier, Frasier, a a therapist who hosts a radio show who's moved to Seattle. Uh, Sleepless in Seattle, they moved from Chicago to Seattle, but they call a radio show. And it's down to the fact that Frasier's tagline when people call in and and the the female host of the show when Jonah calls in used the same line which is like hey what's up or something anyway oh, interesting i never got into frasier it was always like super boring and dry for me as a kid but, so just never anyway google the two and you will see that basic that one basically said that's a good idea i'm going to to use that and i think it was the tv show that um essentially stole from the movie all right so my takeaway is this, Phil, back to your point. This was the heyday of rom-coms, and, and there were no two better people to cast by this point than Hanks and Ryan. Um, I had seen, in fact, I didn't recall this until I started to watch it yesterday. I saw this in the theaters at the time, um, wow. and it, it, it was essentially to me um, when Harry met Sally, too. Like, she was so good in that, and she had been... I think the first rom-com she did with Hanks was Joe versus the Volcano, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct, yes. Um, but, but my ultimate takeaway was, and I don't know if I didn't appreciate this when, when I saw this. At the time, I would have been about 23 or 24. Um, the role, the importance of the role that Jonah, the son, Tom Hanks' son, plays in this film and I had completely forgotten that they didn't meet like the main characters did not meet until the very, very end, and it's very brief. Yeah. It's very brief. In fact, when we get to our our chemistry category, I'm going to make it an argument. Yes. That we turn it on its head a little bit. I agree. Uh, Because because this was, one, it was very creative, so I like the film. This is no slight against the film, but I, I really came away now from watching that film with the takeaway that the role of Jonah was absolutely imperative and that they had to find, and they did a good job of finding the right kid to play it. Because if they hadn't, I think that film is largely a disaster. Like if that kid's annoying, I think you're screwed boys. It's a fair point. Uh, Dex, what was your main takeaway? My main, t- so this is the first time I've ever seen this because I've never seen it before. Uh, I've heard the legends of it. I know it's like, it's, it's a very iconic romantic comedy. 
But my main takeaway was that I, this is like kind of a heavy movie. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it, it's pretty. It's not your classic like all damsel in distress and the guy looking for stability. Like necessarily, it, it was there was death involved. Um, as the loser of a uh, loser, yeah, as, to, as as a guy who has lost both parents prematurely, like the opening scene where he's like, if we start asking why, then we're going to drive ourselves insane. Like, I was like, oh my God, like, this is how we start this film. Like, mm-hmm. like, like this is, this is not just normal. And then he's, the, the kid's sad and you know, like, I'm starting to forget mom. And it's just like, oh my God, like I, I was expecting more like cheesy classic, you know, rom-coms that we've done over the last four or five weeks here. And Instead, it was like kind of like pulled at your heartstrings a little bit. And I was like, man, this is not your classic rom-com. Like it's a it's a really good movie. And I enjoyed it, by the way. I really did enjoy this film. But it it it, it really hit me in the feels. There was a n- numerous scenes where I was like, damn, this is not like cheesy and funny. This is actually a serious movie. Yeah. When a movie starts in a graveyard, <laughs> like it's 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 setting a tone there. Right. I mean, there, it's literally starting you in a graveyard after his wife dies. Don't so. you guys. Don't, so. Dex is right as far as rom-coms from about the late 90s on, I think. But this was very much the formula for a long time. Like somebody has died or you've been left at the altar. It wasn't – I don't know when, if it was more a Vince Vaughn thing, McConaughey. It did turn to what Dex is talking about, Phil. But there was a very – if you go back and watch these types of films for a long time, I'm talking talking way back when – uh, through the early 90s or so, this was a formula of it's heavy. It's funny and it's cute, but it's heavy. Yeah, I think, like, I don't know when it turned, but you mentioned, like, McConaughey with How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And then you had, in the late 90s, sort of mid to late 90s, you had rom-coms that were sort of targeted toward, like, high school and college-age kids. Yes. Uh, never been kissed and she's all that right and save the last dance and all these that were so i think these are more adult targeted romantic comedy movies right these are targeting like these are not for kids parents and grandparents etc um so my main takeaway from this movie is just i feel terrible for walter the guy that annie is about to be married to Oh, I, like just think, and he he brings some of it on himself by just being yeah, you a just total it. dweeb. You just hit it. But like, okay, they're they're sitting at this. He just he he buys a bottle of Dom Perignon for them, and they're sitting up yeah. above the Thirty Rock building, looking out at the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day. Yeah. And she's literally like explaining to him how she's falling in love with this other guy, and she's she's flying across the country. She's taking phone calls in the closet secretively. It's like, what did Walter do? To deserve this sort of treatment <laughs> just you know just just be done with walter why not just be done with like i just agree. just break it off with walter but and then go do your thing with with tom hanks in seattle but he's written as such a wuss that i feel no sympathy at all because he's such a sniveling i've got allergies like they might <laughs> they make him as easy to dismiss as possible like his character is written so you feel he is he is a patsy and as ancillary of character as you can get. And I don't disagree with your points, Phil, but it's so clear that they they felt a need to have her leave something important, but they didn't want you to not like her. Right. But here's the other thing. So the 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 early on the scene where they're at that Christmas gathering, that's her family, right? Mm-hmm. So she so he's in her, she's introducing him to or reintroducing or whatever, but but they don't I think it's the first they time they don't have great met him. chemistry. Okay. Yeah. 
and and he does the I I I I am the luckiest luckiest man on the face of the earth <laughs> earth earth the Lou Gehrig speech. Yep. Crickets. Wait, like you're telling me in the early 1990s, like that family doesn't know who Lou Gehrig is. Like they never heard of the Lou Gehrig speech. I just feel like I'm listen, telling you. He's got, is he the funniest guy? No, but he's making a Lou Gehrig joke, and no one gets it. What's wrong with these people? Nora Ephron made it as easy for you to dismiss him as possible because I'm sure their fear was we can't have a male character who she's going to leave because you'll turn on her, and you can't turn on her because she's Meg Ryan. <laughs> she's Meg bleeping Ryan. Meg, Actually, can we do the Meg bleeping Ryan thing right here real quick? I've got her <laughs> filmography in front of us. Yeah. And, awesome. man, like – so, so she, her first ever movie was Rich and Famous in 1981. She was then in Amityville 3D in 1983. She was one of the one of the kids in a haunted house. Mm-hmm. And then she she her third ever movie was playing Goose's wife or girlfriend in Top Gun. Take me to bed and lose me forever, Goose. Yep. And then she goes on. There's a few other movies. Then she gets to Harry Met Sally in 1989. Joe versus the Volcano in 1990. She was in the Doors movie in 1991. Yeah. Well, uh, Prelude to a Kiss, 1992, Sleepless in Seattle, When a Man Loves a Woman, French Kiss, um, Addicted to Love, Anastasia, City of Angels with Nick Cage in 1998, and I, then You've Got Mail in I 1998. I saw that in the theater. In the theater. Nick Cage and her. Yeah, it was uh, it was it's amazing. So so she's only – this is the crazy thing. Mm-hmm. So as, as active as she was throughout the late 80s, early 90s, she's only done two movies – in the last 12 years, Fangirl in 2015 and Ithaca in 2016. Um, so she's she's basically just been done with movie acting over the last 12 years. She's not even that old, I don't think. She's so, 59. Good for me, right? 59 years old. Okay. Uh, what was your favorite part of this movie, Judd? So it was several different scenes <laughs> with with Tom Hanks and his son. And I thought that they were great because they they were spontaneous, they were short, they were cute, they were base, they basically, um, and and I love the fact that you always had the feeling they did a really good job. The kid was was not obnoxious, but in a lot of these scenes, you had the feeling that the kid had control. Like it was this weird. Hanks is sort of the lost character, right? And the kid's like, yeah, my dad. So when when the kid calls in to the show initially, that's actually, I think, a great scene. There's also a small scene where he is talking to his son, and they are brushing their teeth and spitting, and they start talking about sex. Yeah. And and the kid says something about sex that Hanks responds, how did you know that? And the kid says, Jet has cable. Um, (laughs) Cable. (laughs) But it's just that... The kid did such a good job, I thought, of playing off Hanks and and vice versa that my favorite scenes were actually those because I think shooting scenes with kids lots of times comes off as sort of scripted and and it might be cute, but believable, probably not. I felt every scene with Hanks and his kid like that was believable and they deserve a ton of credit. So th- those were actually my favorite scenes and favorite parts. They had like they had such a weird in a good way relationship in that how how many how many like how old was Sam in this movie? Let's say he's like 35 or wh- whatever he is. He's probably in his 30s. Yep, 30 yep. 35 years old somewhere in there. Yep. And uh, and Jonah's like 10. Oh, he's 8. Right? Says, eight. I'm 8. Yep. How many how many dads who are like 30 
interact with their eight-year-old as if they were an adult. Like he talks, I love that he talks to Jonah yeah. like he's an adult. Right, but and he'll just he'll rip him and call him an idiot and stuff. But I think with a mom, like my dad. But I think with a mom being dead too, it's key because he doesn't have you know like an adult around. And and then when Hanks gets the girlfriend, who they do a great job of making as annoying as possible, like she's more like a kid than Jonah is. She laughs like a hyena. Yeah, she yeah. laughs like a hyena. But anyway, I thought the chemistry between those two was absolutely fantastic with uh, Hanks right. and his kid. Dex, what about you? Your it's, favorite mo- part? it's moments like that that I confirmed that Judd Zolgad does have a heart, by the way. Oh, I have a big heart. Yeah. It, it, a big those, heart. Like, those are very yeah. sentimental things. And, you know, you're, you're crusty old Zolgad, and then I hear no, those things, and I'm like, oh, wow. No, you know, I, I, know he, I know he cries at, you know, a wonderful life. Wonderful but then, life heart. But, but then he like lays down that scene, and it's just it, it always blows my I'd mind like that he does have a heart. Um, my favorite part is it's more of an idea from this movie, but it, it it's the fact that dating back then is just as difficult as it is now. So people oh always say, people always say, oh, man, I wish it was back in the day. Dating was so much easier 25, 30 years ago. No, it's just as difficult. He has to pull out that damn Rolodex. He has to go get dinner with people he's worked with. It's 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 hilarious, and how he explains it too. Just like Judd was saying with this kid, I I love the scene where he's talking about dating with uh, with Jonah. Aren't you gonna read any of these? No, because this is not how it's done. I'd much rather just see somebody I like and get a feeling about them and ask them if they want to have a drink or, or a slice of pizza. Not dinner, not necessarily on the first date, because halfway through dinner you could be really sorry you asked them to dinner. Whereas if it's just a drink. If you like them, you can always ask them to dinner. But if not, you can just say, well, that was great. And then you go home. You see what I mean? I wonder if it still works this way. It doesn't. They ask you. I'm starting to notice that. So I what? This movie was made in like <laughs> 1993? Like yeah, that, 93. That, that's still relevant in 2021. Like that is exactly how it still goes. I was 23, baby. So yep. I, so I still, I, I, I empathize with that, with that part because he's trying so hard and he's going on these dates and he, yeah, he's dating the people that has a hyena laugh and he's dating his old clients too. Like he's trying to figure it out and his friends are trying to encourage him as well. And I, and I felt like, oh, this still translates, you know, almost 30 years later. I think so. That soundbite's amazing. And by the way, like very savvy move to not get the dinner on the first date because yep. if you get the dinner, if you get the drinks and the dinner, now you've kind of committed to like an hour, hour and a half situation, right? And so if you can, if you can commit to maybe twenty, thirty minutes and then see how it goes, that's always that's always the best play. Um, so I disagree a little bit with you, Declan, in that. And I again, like I've I've been with my wife now for wife. eight years. And so I, I wasn't involved in like online dating, but it would seem to me that before online dating existed, just li- like literally meeting people period was a lot harder. Like the only ways that you would meet people are through setups, through friends or randomly running into someone at a bar or like randomly approaching someone at a public place or a grocery store. <laughs> um, or in this case, like finding someone that was on the radio and stalking them. At least now, can't you just go on like Match.com or Tinder and just like find a hundred people to send messages to? Like you couldn't do that in 1993. True, but I also think um, because of like to your point, even the taboos of social media. Like if if you have these profiles on Match or Tinder or wherever, you can do your own stalking and figure out like, wait, who is this person? Where in 1993, it's only the word of mouth, right? Like it's only it's only from. 
who you've been who you've been interacting with and like, oh, this person's like this. You don't have a social media page and figure out, oh, my God, this guy's obsessed with hockey and seltzers. Like, I don't want nothing to do with him. So like th- that. But that's that- a good. Isn't that a good thing? Because you, you can one, one scroll through someone's Instagram page and you can be like, oh, super weirdo. They're gothic or some, you know, you can just like. Rule them out. You don't find that stuff out until the, the fifth date sometimes in 1993, For right? Sure. So I, I think it, it works like both ways where you can have you can have it in, in both regards where there's more information out on you and that can help you but can also – it can hurt you because even – like the, the whole thing, like I've barely done online dating. Like I'm not on it currently. I, I, I've dabbled in a lot of other ones and the reason I don't like it is because it's all just so phony to me. Like it, it doesn't set up well. And you end up having, like, these same stupid texting interactions to the point when you meet each other, there's kind of, like, nothing to talk about. So that, that's why even, like, when I – the brief times I've done it, like, it's always been, like, let's go out and figure out it together instead of, like, having the stupid texting small talk. And then when we get together, we kind of, like, have spilt everything we know. That's the problem. So, so in my day, the good thing was you've lost the art of discovery because everything's out there. Or like texting, like texting, I love it for my purposes, but like if you were, if you meet somebody now, it would suck because it's not personal. The art of discovery back in the day when you would meet a, you know, a girl at a bar or like I did a party, right? And then you go out and then you start to discover what they're like. And you know what? You might say to yourself, I don't like this person. But you at least did the legwork to get there. I feel like now it's I, I can go stock your Facebook page, your Instagram page. And by the time we go out, I sort of know you. That sort of takes away the fun. Like the great thing about going to a baseball game is what? You walk through and before your eyes, the field unfolds. And it's the most gorgeous sight in sports as far as I'm concerned. A baseball, <laughs> a well-manicured baseball field, okay? Oh, it's man. the discovery of the baseball field. Well, the discovery in dating was go out to dinner or have a drink and you start to talk and the person's like, I like this and you like – and and it, the discovery was the game. That was fun. I feel like like social media has largely taken some of that away because you now go in with preconceived notions yes. that aren't as much fun. Dr. Like, this Judd. is the fun. This was the fun. But, I mean, and, and you might discover you don't like the person, but that was that was the game itself. I hear you, but, like, isn't it also saving you potentially months of okay. just dragging out something that's not going to work in the end I'm going to help you out here. It's the, it's, it's the exact same And by the way, what I'm about to say is both good and bad, okay? So, like, Phil, you're not wrong here. It's the exact same as analytics and sports. (laughs) It's too much. At times, it's too much. So you you want to take five years to figure out that... I like want, your favorite hockey prospect isn't going to pan out. I want to know right now. Yeah, I want to know right now. Yes, yes. I, but, I, I can tell you right now that the, I can tell you right now that uh, Aunt Edward shooting threes at that rate, he's going to be a bust if he keeps doing that. But here's but here's what you I want to keep finding out over three years. But I but I might find out. I might find out what I presume to be a first line wing is a grinding third line winger who works his ass off. But I only found that out by giving him a chance. That's fair. I only found that out point. now the preconceived thing is, well, I know what this person's going to be, so I put him or her in a box, and that's it. 
The human condition, my man, it allows for discovery that we now don't because of our presumptions about things that we get from having too much information. This is the most productive you, conversation we've ever had on a rom-com or AMR Rewind. I just want to point that out before you go. I feel like Declan owes us for – or owes Judd, really, not me. Yeah. Well, this comes from years of different – this comes from perspectives from what? I'm 51. Phil, you're what? 35? 35. Yep. And Dex, you're 27? 28. Yeah, so I mean, this runs the gamut truly of different eras in dating. It does. I think I think only, only one thing can come out of this. It's that Declan has to let Judd set up some sort of online dating profile in the way that Judd sees best fit for oh Declan. Oh my god! eHarmony, Farmers Only, <laughs> J Date. I don't care. E-Harmony. We can, we can ask our friend Randy and Cottage Grove what the best platforms are, but we need Judd to. We need total. Judd gets total control over the roster here. Total control over the the description, the photo that we use for. It would be a very short description. <laughs> it would be this one sentence: "Discovery is the fun of the date. No more information." And there's no photo, nothing. Yeah, nothing. No, nothing. a photo's fine. <laughs> but I'm saying I'm not going to give away. I like horseback and croquet. Well, Declan wouldn't like horseback, but I'm not going to give cro- away croquet, croquet for sure, or hockey. Yeah. I'm not giving away anything. Discovery is the fun of the date. I like it. I like it. Um, okay, my my favorite part of this movie was actually the soundtrack. Yep, I got yeah, that written down. It's really good. This soundtrack. So, so yeah, I, I've got love it in front it. of me. As Time Goes By by Jimmy Durant, oh, A Kiss to Build a Dream on, Louis Armstrong, Stardust, Nat King Cole. As there's, he, I think he's inside of his you know, waterfront houseboat. Just one of the great all-time. I'm a huge Nat King Cole guy. Mm-hmm. Making Whoopi. Um, back in the saddle again, Gene Autry, Bye Bye Blackbird, Joe Cocker, A Wink and a Smile by Harry Connick Jr., Stand By Your Man, Tammy Wynette, An Affair to Remember, Make Someone Happy, Jimmy Durant, and then When I Fall in Love, Celine Dion and Clive Griffin. Just like a 10 out of 10 old school, great classic soundtrack, this movie. Absolutely, yeah. It, it was, it was, it, it didn't make the film, but it played a big role. It did. They played a huge role, for sure, actually. For sure. All right, your least favorite part about Sleepless in Seattle, Judd. Um, okay, I got two things quickly. One, Pullman's character. Bill Pullman's character oh. is just such a weenie. And, and, yes. and you're not supposed to like him, I know that. But, you know, Phil, to your point, you're on the top of 30 Rock having dinner and he's like you've been sort of distracted lately and she's like yeah i'm in love with somebody else i think and he's just like ah okay and he just like gives the ring like really you're telling you know he just gives the ring back i mean he's got a bottle of dom so he's like ah whatever i guess this could this could be worse and 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 then i know they had to i know they had to write it to get the kid to from seattle to new york to go to the top of the empire state building i understand that but he just leaves and jumps in a cab and goes to the airport and gets on a plane and Tom Hanks lost track of him? Well, this movie, in fairness, came out three years after Home Alone, so this premise was definitely mm. already out there sure, in the mainstream no, I, I know, but I mean, a lot, about, a lot of things about this film were slightly sappy but probably believable, but the kid just, like, walking out of the house, it, it was cute and funny, but I was also like... You could have worked a little bit harder to get the kid to the airport to get on the plane. Because um, I like the film, but I'm just saying that, that that to me was such a stretch that the little kid could just jump in a cab, go to SeaTac 
jump on a plane, make the jaunt, and be like, okay, bye. You're right. I, or you said by. this earlier. This sets up like this sets up for a sequel in two ways. Number one, we need to know how the relationship pans out, right? Did yes. they did they find out that they hate each other after like two weeks? Did they did they stay together and have more kids? And then I'd also like to find out what happened to Jonah because Jonah's like one of the smartest eight year old kids I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. And so did did Jonah wind up falling into a life of drug use? That's just a drugs and drugs too and, smart. Yeah ran with the wrong crowd or did he wind up being some you know i don't know a politician an astrophysicist we need to joined know what happened to, to jonah joined join a band nirvana <laughs> that's what he gets it's like soundgarden he, he joined soundgarden <laughs> pearl jam <laughs> all right dex what was your least favorite part uh my least favorite part of this movie is and i know we're gonna get into it too with the chemistry it's just, it's just the fact they're not together at all in this film until the last scene like, it, it's hard for me to get, like, really totally invested and give this, like, a perfect score, not to spoil, but, like, the fact that they're apart the entire film. Because there's even the scene where she's driving and she hears him talking on the radio and she's finishing his sentences and you're like, oh, wow. Like, you can already, like, I got the interpretation, like, oh, man, the chemistry here between these two is going to be awesome. She's she's halfway across the country She's finishing his sentences. She's going to, like, jump on a plane or they're somehow going to meet and it's going to be great. And then their relationship starts. And instead, like, it's basically this little bit of a cat and mouse game. And there's a one part where he obviously sees her in Seattle or in the airport and in Seattle. But the fact that they're apart the entire film, I mean, I guess that maybe that makes the the meeting at the end that much special. But I kind of didn't enjoy the fact that they're basically apart and she's with someone else for 95 percent of this movie. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take what you said and, and sort of piggyback into my least favorite part. I think Annie is a criminal stalker, and it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's yep. go through the list here, okay? So for one, she becomes obsessed with someone that she has no idea what he looks like. Like literally, just heard this guy on a radio show across the country, and so that's red flag number one. Becomes so obsessed that she's sneaking downstairs with a radio into like a kitchen cabinet so she can listen late at night to these radio phone calls. It's a boombox. So so she's she's laying some creepy groundwork. Yep. Then she goes another step forward and does a background check on Sam. And it's not like today where you can literally just like type in someone's name on the internet and find out a bunch of things about them and you don't like have to do a he- she's sure. like going into the 1993 internet and doing a background check on Sam Baldwin. Bol- the Baltimore Suns database, I believe. So, like, she's abusing her employer's database. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Super creepy. And if that's not enough, (laughs) she flies to Seattle. She flies to Seattle to see if she can strike up, like, a face-to-face conversation or just, like, lay eyes on Sam and Jonah uh, over in Westlake. She she hired a PI as well to take pictures of Sam on his date. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. She she is a stalker. Oh, yeah. Massively creepy. Yes. She could have been arrested. Probably should have been. And by the way, if you're Sam, this is what I want to know if there's a sequel. If you're Sam, don't you have to find out at some point the length that she went to? Like, wouldn't that make you, would that make, would that be charming to you? Like, oh, this person really likes me, even though they don't know me. Or, oh my God, you were, what? Like, you, you hired a private investigator. You stalked me through your work database. And then you flew out here as well. Like, wouldn't he be thinking, why did I see this woman in Seattle that one time? Yeah, but like why was, was why, why but was he was smitten with her? But he saw her and he was smitten. And and as I told Don, 
Tom Hanks's character looks at her the way he looked at Wilson, the volleyball. <laughs> he does. He's got that. Like he looked at he. She was Wilson. Oh my god! Seriously, better, better go chemistry. Back and, go back and Tom watch Han- that. Better chemistry. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, or Tom Hanks and Wilson. Tom Hanks and Wilson's a really good chemistry. It's like really good. It's really good. Disagree. So, so how does Meg? Here's what I, I didn't get about her trip. So she's across the street and sees Jonah and Hanks's character and his his girlfriend hugging. She basically steps out into traffic and almost gets hit by a semi. Okay. So, like, you would figure at that point, you'd be like, oh, I really shouldn't step out into traffic. I should step back. Then she steps back in, out into traffic and almost gets hit by a taxi cab. Like, how many times would you go into the middle of the road to watch somebody? <laughs> That's a great question. I Wouldn't don't know. Wouldn't you have I stayed think, back? I will say, too, if I if just having but been right. here for, like, a week, I believe, I believe that's 99. It's a super busy, like, cars are just flying back and forth. It's not the type of road that you would want to just wander out into the middle of. Because mm-hmm. cars are coming around corners. Like, they can't see you. So she probably would have died, actually, so th- if she was actually doing that. <laughs> that. That's, like, the equivalent of, like, Snelling in university. Just, like, you're, you're just standing yeah. in the middle. There's a light rail. There's there's two ways of traffic. It's, it's absolutely nuts. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, all right. Next, uh, next category here. The least believable part of this movie. Okay. New York City. Evening time. Observation deck. Empire State Building. There ain't no way, no matter how much you bag and plead, that after the observation deck is closed for the night, they're letting you up there. And, like, the guy at first to Meg Ryan's character is like, sorry, it's closed. And then she's like, but I didn't have to go. And he's like, okay, no problem. Uh, my wife loves that movie. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, a fair to remember with Cary Grant, which which is like, like the basis for this film. But like with her being like, please let me. This is New York. Minneapolis, maybe. Okay. Maybe. But New York, no way. There is no way you get up there. <laughs> Again, just come up with a different. Like she didn't need to be late to go to the observation deck. They didn't even need to really do that. It was just supposed to be like it is magic. It's mad. It's cheesy. It is pre nine eleven. I will say that. Yeah, which yeah, by which by the way, when when Hanks and Jonah drop the girlfriend off at the airport, they are at basically where she's going to get on the plane. And the first time that he sees. Meg Ryan's character, she's getting off that same flight. Mm. He never could have seen her after September 11th, 2001, because you ain't allowed anywhere near a plane unless you're getting on the plane now. It's a great point. Uh, a great point. Declan, your least believable part. My least believable part, um, and Phil, you might be able to help me out since you've been there for a week, but the whole fact that this dude like lives on the water in this exquisite houseboat. All right, so I... And, and, and here's another like a nitpick I have. Architect. He's an architect, right? Is he okay? So I couldn't tell if he was a yes. carpenter. I no. couldn't tell if he was an arc because like he has architect. this cushy, awesome Chicago desk job. He's designing, and then he's like in this, and then he's in Seattle doing that little home, you know, remodel with with one of the women. Yep. And I'm just like, there's, I don't care if he's an architect, a carpenter, and even he has a sick life insurance policy from his wife died. There's zero chance he can afford that house. It's like it, it, yeah. it's right on the water. He just moved across the country. It, it was it was hilarious to me. Like it, it was it's cool because he's like on the water. You can take yeah. his kid fishing and on the boat, and it's great. I thought the but, same thing. But zero chance he can just afford that yeah. house just living by himself with his eight year old son. I'm actually gonna do. I'm gonna do a. <laughs> it would quick be like little... right now if Phil was was right. in that house. Hey guys, I moved to Seattle. Oh, that's awesome. Did you get a townhouse? No. 
houseboat. I would love it, by the way. I would of course love you would. You know, I'm just, you know how much I, that thing would have cost in 1993? So oh. I'm looking up right now. I'm Houseboats, just pulling up Zillow.com yeah. <laughs> to see. So the, so the house, I, I think – there's not a lot of information on that actual house. Like it's, just I don't look know up if someone like a, owns it. It's private. Just look up like a Seattle house houseboat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm on Zillow right now. Okay. And there's, there's not like, there's not a lot of them for sale, but there is one here. Okay. This is, it's a houseboat, three bedroom, two bath, 2000 square foot houseboat, literally like right next to like within, I don't know, a hundred yards of where this one is. Two point three million dollars for Lord. sale right yeah, now. Declan's, and you said that was two thousand square feet. Yes. And, oh. and and Hanks's place is like a, a three bedroom couple bath. There's an upstairs. It's way more than two thousand square feet. I found it. The the uh, this is a 2014 story from Seattle that said that that place sold at that time for two million dollars. At what in, time? In 2014. The, the houseboat that was used okay. in the movie Sleepless in Seattle sold. The sale price uh, was not disclosed, but this publication learned the price was more than $2 million. Dude, I will say, going through these Zillow photos of this other one, it's pretty pretty badass. Oh, it's cool. It's pretty it's badass. Yeah. Yeah, but, how, but like, oh, my wife's dead. What should we do? Let's move. Where? $2 million houseboat. Actually, that's, that's a good, just a, a side question here. If your wife died suddenly and, like, your life has been uprooted, what would you do? Would you would you move halfway across the country? Would you like start dating right away? Would you just be a hermit the <laughs> rest a of your really life? Like morbid, morbid question for a fifty one year old with a wife who's <laughs> older than him. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I'd probably, I'd probably move to a condo. Yeah, I can I'd probably move to a condo. I would thrive in a condo. Here is my question off Declan's point though. Now, so if he moved to Seattle and bought that nice. Of, of house. My question is, what was his dead wife's life insurance policy? Because I think we got, I think, I think the sequel is he gets arrested. Oh. <laughs> I think the sequel is he's guilty cancer, of, huh? he's, he yeah, he's guilty of murder. And as you all know, there's no statute of limitations on murder. <laughs> oh, I love it. No, I love the Dateline NBC episode where we find out that that's how like half of the Dateline NBC episodes are. Someone wanted hey, the life insurance policy and so, hired a hitman. <laughs> so Dawn watches those things constantly now. Like she They're DVRs great. them. Here's my problem. My patience is so thin. I then Google them because they're all out there. Like yeah. last night she's wa- watching one and I'm like, okay, the husband did it uh, to get the, the life insurance policy for gambling debts. I have no patience. So, like, I know what happened within the first portion of the show, five minutes. Dex, least believable part? Did we already do that with yeah, you? Yeah, I just the did that. Yep. Thing? Yeah, the house okay. my least believable. Uh, for me, the, I'll just go quick. The least believable part is just, like, I agree with the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day and just, like, randomly going back up and, and the chance there. All right, what was the cheesiest part of this movie for you guys? Judd? I've, uh, got, one for, I've, got, I've yeah. got one for you if you want. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. That's fine. It's the part where... He sees Annie at the airport for the first time, and he's explaining to Jonah. And I've got—I wrote down the quote. You know, he's Jonah's trying to explain. Oh, it, 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 this would be perfect for you, well. And 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 Sam's line was, "Jonah, there's no such thing as a perfect." And then he stops at the word "perfect" as Annie walks off of the Ob- whatever, obliviously whatever like staring off. And he just like, yeah, he just like he's in a trance, and he just like walks forward a few steps. 
and then I think like something gets between them or whatever happens. Um, that's the cheesiest part. Like just him running into her two or three times randomly and then going into a trance every time. Do you guys have any other any cheesy parts before we um, move on here? The, the the one scene when when Joan is in the taxi cab and he goes, Oh, we gotta go, kid, you gotta go to the top of the Empire State Building and and then she's like, I'm gonna go meet my mommy and it's just like, Oh god, like it's just more more cringy, I think, than it is cheesy. It's just yeah. it's freaky. When when the, the kid leaves the backpack on top of the Empire State Building and Meg Ryan finds it and immediately like opens it up and takes the teddy bear out. And no, and you know, it's it. yeah, like, come on. Creepy, dude. She's creepy. Like if she I find a backpack, creepy. I ain't opening that thing on the, in New York City alone <laughs> backpack. I ain't opening that thing immediately. Oh, here's a teddy bear. Let me almost put it in my mouth. Dude, yeah, super creepy, Jesus. super creepy. You're right. Uh, is is Brooks Robinson the greatest third baseman of all time? It's the great, he might be the greatest fielding third baseman of all time. There's no way he's the greatest third baseman across the board of all time. I don't think. I'm gonna have to ask Pat. Yeah, Pat. My, my, Mike Schmidt's in the conversation for sure. Yeah, I uh, he was he was one of the great glove men of all time. There's no doubt about that. I don't know that he would qualify as being the greatest third baseman of, of all time because that that's a question that then extends to the plate. I mean, Brooks was great, and he played for a long time, but that's – I don't know about that one. So uh, accolades for this film. This film was recognized by American Film Institute in AFI's 10 top 10 mm-hmm. uh, as the number 10th ranked romantic comedy of all time. The film received two nominations for awards at the 66th Academy Awards in 1994, lost out to the piano for Best Original Screenplay. Never saw that. While the song A Wink and a Smile lost out to Streets of Philadelphia from Philadelphia, another Tom Hanks movie. <laughs> yes, it was. By the way, speaking of Tom Hanks movies, my God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you without skipping a movie. Yep. I'm not going to skip any movies. Yep. This is the run that Tom Hanks went on from the late 80s all the way through the 90s. Yes. Big... The Burbs, Turner and Hooch, Joe versus the Volcano, The Bonfire of the Vanities. Never seen that. Yep. Radio Flyer, A League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Cat- Forrest Gump, Academy Apollo Award, right? 13. Yep. For both those. Toy Story, That Thing You Do, Saving Private Ryan, wrote it. You've Got Mail, Toy Story 2, yep. The Green Mile, Cast Away, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Road to Perdition, oh, Catch yeah. Me If You Can, um, and then he get, and then he wow. skipped. Then he took a couple years off. I mean, come on. So a couple, That's absurd. Uh, two Thanksgivings ago, me and my aunt and cousins, we did Hanks Giving. <laughs> so we did three Tom Hanks movies in like, and and so we did three of them. But we did like early, mid, and then current. So we did Joe versus the Volcano to start. We started off with that, and then we did Catch Me If You Can, and then we did uh, Sully to end. Love it, dude. Um, Thanksgiving. I Thanksgiving. love that. That's hilarious. And, I mean, there was I, – I I really wanted that thing. Like, that thing you do is, like, probably my guilty ple- – like, top five, one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like Joe versus the Volcano. It just, like, I don't know. It, it, it just wasn't that great to me. Like, it's kind of a weird film, too. I just didn't connect with it. But he did have an insane run there for basically 15 years where he was the top dog. He, he won yep. best – he won best at, actor for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, I think, in back-to-back years, right? I believe so. I believe so. Yep. Uh, so that brings us to the last couple of categories here. The definitive relationship rankings criteria is just chemistry on screen chemistry 
between the two. So far, Hitch and Sarah from Hitch are an 8.8 out of 10. Ben Barry and Andy Anderson, how to lose a guy in 10 days, an 8.3. Ben and Lindsay from Fever Pitch, a 6.7. So, Judd, how would you score Sam and Annie's chemistry what would you give them for a ranking here this is where i'm actually going to try to put the chemistry rankings turn them upside down put them on their head and and amaze the people of the depth of our (laughs) knowledge when it comes to this segment um i am going to submit to you guys that i do not think the chemistry is the two adults i think the chemistry is tom hanks and jonah tom hanks's son i think that's the chemistry are we okay. so? Do we have to do that? Are we? Well, are but, we changing? No, I, I'm curious if you guys if you guys say no, that's fine. But what I'm saying is, I submit that the chemistry in this film can't be two people who barely meet at the end just because they might have something in common when there is such great chemistry between the father and son. So where I fall on this is there. What, what Judd is saying is that there's there's essentially little to no chemistry, at least on screen chemistry There's between not. both of them they throughout this film because even when I, I mean i wrote down i wrote down originally three out of ten i wrote down three out of ten because they're just they're not together at all during this entire film so if we want to pivot to him and jonah i think that is a completely different ranking because the the chemistry between those two is insane but i think we i think we have to keep i, I think we have to keep there has to be a sam and annie ranking i agree but but judd's point is well taken yes that the movie is less about those two it's more about the father and the son. Yeah. So so with that, Declan scores at a three. Three. Judd? I mean, they're not together really, so it's hard to do. Um I mean, it's uh, unknown, but I guess it'd be about a three is fine, yeah. Like, it, it's just, I, think, I didn't see enough. I think if you're scoring the chemistry in her mind based on what she thinks their chemistry will be. <laughs> she's it's she's Charles Manson, dude. <laughs> And he's very skeptical and sort of like he thinks she's beautiful. Yeah. But they've yet to meet. So I got I'll give it a four. I'm gonna give her the benefit of the doubt in her mind, but I but I'm gonna give it a four. And so with that here, some quick math here. What's uh Karen the four? Look at three so it's like a th- a three point three average between the two of them. And when we do another, inevitably when we do like you've got mail, then we can start to compare all of the Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan scores and uh see where they fall. Yep. Okay. One through ten for the movie itself, criteria, okay. entertainment value. So Hitch is a 9, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, 8.8, and Fever Pitch, a 6.3. Judd? 7.5. 7.5 for me. Good, yeah. solid, not great. I, I liked it more at the time than I do now. Um, 7.5. Yeah, for me, it's a 7. I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I I would watch it again, but... I, I think just the lack of them being together on screen holds it back from our other movies. So for for me, it's a seven. Um, yeah, it's it's a seven for me as well. Um, this movie, I feel like I enjoyed this movie more the first couple times I saw it, yep. and I don't know if it just doesn't hold up as well because it's a different era. It's good. I love the soundtrack more than I love the movie, so I actually give it. I actually give a couple points extra for the soundtrack. So that brings it to a 7.2, making it third out of four rom-coms that we have reviewed to this point, boys. Um, so for the next, okay, we've got a bunch of these written down. I'm going to throw a few out, and then I want you guys to help me figure out, should we do a random choice? Should we just pick one? So Crazy Stupid Love is on our list. Fantastic. The, yep. the American President is on our list. And I, I, I know that 
you guys haven't seen that for the, for the purposes of this segment, this show, it would be an amazing review. Trust me. All right. Uh, and then I'll also put out sweet home, Alabama, and she's out of my league. Oh. As the four that we're looking at. What's the last one? She's out of my league. Which is who? I, uh, it I has, know that. Yep. It has Alice Eve, Jay Burchell, TJ Miller. Uh, it's a pretty goofy one. It's one of, I saw again, another rom-com that I saw in theaters twice. Okay. I saw it. In, it's one, I, and it's one of I'm my, I'm not passing judgment on, one of my on you for that. Favorite. You're young and dumb. It's Favorite fine. films. Um, Okay. Should we, should we should we put these in a hat, so to speak, and, and draw randomly? Sure. Or do you guys? No, no let's draw. Strong feeling we should. Draw. Yeah, the the okay. only one I will say, and I love it, but it's really really good. Um, Crazy Stupid Love, good movie. Is fantastic. It might be is too. It, 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 it might be it too good. It might be too good for for us. I would watch it again, and I really like it. But it is really well. I mean, it's a very it, good movie. It might be too well done. It's a really good movie. Okay, then I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one out here, and we're okay. gonna put these other three in a hat. So okay. we'll, we'll we'll take Crazy Stupid Love out here. We'll put three in a hat. We're gonna have Declan pick. I'm going to shuffle these up, and uh, you just have to choose a number one through three, my man, okay. right now. Uh, one. Sweet Home Alabama. All right. I still love that movie. It's a great movie. Sweet Home Alabama. That's, um, that also is Reese, that's right? just going to be absurd. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. I love Reese, man. Yep. Big Reese guy. So, so there it is. That's a rom-com <laughs> rewind here. On what, Mackie and what actress? What actress have you said? I can't stand her. Drew Barrymore. Can't that's, stand Drew Barrymore. That's true. Which is too bad. I really like uh, that. There's probably some others too that I could get into. All right. Actually, Fifty First Dates would be a great. We should do Fifty First oh, Dates so Declan can review that, a uh, Drew Barrymore. That movie. would be that. That was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's Sandler, All right. right? Yes. Yep. Sandler. Sandler. Yep. That and the wedding yep. singer. All, All right. right. That's a wrap on Romcom Rewind every single Friday. So next week, get cut up on Sweet Home Alabama. See you guys then. It's you. It's me. I saw you in the street. Are you Annie? Yes. You're Annie? This must be yours. I'm Jonah. This is my dad. His name's Sam. Hi, Jonah. Sam. We better go. Shall we? Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have plenty of Christmas trees to make your holidays even more magical. Hundreds of full, easy-to-assemble artificial trees that look so real, you may be convinced they actually are. And for those who love that fresh pine smell, we have a parking lot full of fresh-cut trees to call your own. We'll even help you load your tree in the car so you can bring home the holidays. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.